Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Intelligence Matters ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Michael Morell is off this week. This is an encore presentation of Intelligence Matters, featuring Michael's March 2022 conversation with psychiatrist Kenneth DeClava. This is Intelligence Matters with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morell. Brought to you by Palantir Technologies, foundational software of tomorrow, delivered today. Putin, he's very dangerous. Because he's a bit unexpectedly cornered, that makes him more dangerous. This is a mixture of a war and a hostage negotiation. Because he has nuclear weapons, he's in a sense holding Ukraine and the West hostage. So it's very dangerous and it's very delicate. The key to this, when it ends, I think Putin needs an off-ramp or a face-saving way where he can, quote, declare victory, unquote, and and retreat back to, to his lair. Uh, sometimes it's better to let the, the bear run out of the cage back into the forest. Dr. Ken DeClava is a former State Department regional medical officer and psychiatrist and he is currently a senior fellow at the George H.W. Bush Foundation for U.S.-China Relations. Dr. DeClava is an expert on analyzing the psychology of world leaders. He joins us today to talk about this unique area of expertise and about a handful of important world leaders, including Vladimir Putin. We'll be right back with that discussion after a word from our sponsor. I'm Michael Morell, and this is Intelligence Matters. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ken, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on Intelligence Matters. Thank you very much, Michael, for having me. I've been a longtime fan of your show, and I'm greatly honored to be on it. 
So let's dig right in. The analysis of foreign leaders that you do, what do you call that type of analysis? And then can you describe what it is? Can you describe what questions you are asking and answering about a particular individual? Of course. The analysis that I do is is what I would call leadership analysis, or others have called it leadership psychology. It draws from a long tradition, starting with the OSS uh, during World War II, when a psychiatrist, Dr. Langer, at the request of General uh, William Donovan, prepared with a team a psychological profile around 1943 of Germany's Chancellor Adolf Hitler. This tradition was later continued at the CIA by uh, my friend and mentor, the late Dr. Gerald Post, who founded such a unit in the mid-60s and led it for 21 years. And again, from a national security perspective, the goal was to prepare psychological profiles of, of world leaders, particularly adversaries, uh, for the national security community, the policy community, and for our own leaders, um, all the way up to and including the president. You know, I should mention that um, the most prestigious award that an analyst can earn at CIA is actually named the Langer Award after the individual who did that that leadership profile of um, of Adolf Hitler. Interesting. So, so how long have you been doing this? Take us through a little bit of that background. I became interested in this kind of work, uh, interested is maybe a misnomer, fascinated, when I first encountered the work of Dr. Post when I was a, re- a resident in psychiatry in the early 90s. Uh, you and your listeners may recall that Dr. Post prepared and published a profile of Iraq's uh, then leader Saddam Hussein and testified before the House Armed Services Committee. So I found this intersection of psychiatry, psychology, and international relations really to be quite fascinating. So fast forward a couple of years, I I gave Dr. Post a phone call just to introduce myself and chat, and he asked me what I was writing about. And I said, I'm preparing a profile of Radovan Karadzic, uh, the leader of the Bosnian Serbs who now sits in a prison cell in the Hague for war crimes. I I speak fluent Serbian, and I had translated Karadzic's haunting, eerie poetry to try to understand the psyche of this person who uh, was a notable psychiatrist and poet in in the former Yugoslavia and then turned into a genocidal war criminal. Well, it turned out Dr. Post was also working on this. Uh, So thus began a collaboration, and we published profiles of both Dr. Karadzic and uh, Serbia's uh, leader, the late Slobodan Milosevic, in the late 90s. So, so, Ken, how do you deal with a question that I'm sure you get from time to time, which is it's, it, it's hard enough, right, to do this kind of analysis when you can actually meet with the person you're assessing, talk to them, um, have sessions with them. How is it then possible to do that from, say, 10,000 miles away, never having had a discussion with the person, uh, et cetera, et cetera. How do you, how do you answer that question? It's very difficult, and it, it, it certainly can, can put some limitations on the conclusions that are drawn. Following the model of, that I mentioned of Dr. Post, uh, people like myself who do this kind of work will review all of the 
leaders' writings, speeches, videos, in today's day and age, social media posts, uh, both primary sources that the leader has written, secondary sources about the leader. And I've been fortunate in my work of being able to talk to uh, high-level dignitaries who have been in the room with every single leader who I've profiled. So that helps a lot. It's kind of a reality check. Am I, is the profile that I'm creating off base or off the mark or, or not, not even close to being realistic? The other thing I'm careful to do, I don't think, while I'm trained as a psychiatrist, and I think that, that has value in this kind of analysis, that it teaches one to empathize and humanize even people who have done horrible things. Uh, and my motto in this work is from the philosopher Terence, nothing which is human is alien to me. Mm. But I, I think the, the having, having the ability to talk to people as well who've met with the leader can help understand uh, some of the psychological traits of the leader, which can be useful in understanding a leader's behavior in crises, in negotiations, in diplomacy, and in other political actions. Is the, is the level of difficulty of analyzing a leader the same from leader to leader, or does it differ by leader? Are some leaders tougher to analyze than others? That's a great question. The, the leaders that I've focused on uh, for the last several years since, since I uh, left my government service have been among what you would call the hardest of hard targets, such as uh, Russia's President Vladimir Putin, China's President Xi Jinping, and North Korea's Chairman Kim, Kim Jong-un. These are hard targets because even though in the case of Putin and Xi, they've, they've been in power for a long time, Putin for over 20 years and, and Xi Jinping for, for over 10 years, and we, we have many senior leaders in our administration and previous administrations that have met with them. They're still very opaque and and very challenging, so that makes it uh, that makes it very very difficult to get a good read on on the leader's psyche and state of mind, their goals, their negotiating strategy. So there's a lot of psychology besides just individual psychology. Uh, negotiation psychology is very important. Understanding the context of international relations is very important rather than just using psychiatric labeling to call a leader a narcissist or a malignant narcissist, something like that, that's probably not as helpful. And and who's the leader that you assessed who was the most difficult to understand? I would say I would say Kim Jong un because and and I wrote a profile of Kim Jong il uh, back in 2010 after he had had his stroke in in August of 2008. They they were the hardest to access uh, because there was simply less data available. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that being said, even though there's uh, lots of data, Xi Jinping and Putin have met with many world leaders. Uh, they've published their own writings. There's been a lot written about them. A lot of excellent uh, stuff written about Putin. I would I would recommend uh, Fiona Hill's book, Operative in the Kremlin. Uh, excellent biographies of Xi. There's still a degree of opacity uh, that makes even these leaders a challenge to understand. That's true now more than ever in the case of Vladimir Putin, and certainly more salient than ever as we're uh, uh, Europe is now facing a, a horrific war uh, for the first time in decades. So, Ken, great 
great transition because I, I wanted to go to Putin next. So tell us about him. And in answering that question, I'd love to get your perspective on if he has changed, if so, how he has changed, in what ways, and why. Let me, let me start with the last uh, point. In, in one sense, he's changed in that he's a man in a, more of a hurry. And certainly the, the current thinking is that he's, he's slipped up. He's made a strategic error. But that being said, if, if the intelligence that he was fed had been correct, then we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. But there were several levels of error, and, and it may reflect his own cognitive thinking or, or rigidity, if you will, cognitive rigidity or lack of flexibility. But it may be that he was thrown a curveball, to borrow a term from American intelligence about two decades ago. For example, he was likely told by his, in, by his intelligence leadership in the FSB and SVR and GRU that this operation, that, that, that President Zelensky was weak and unpopular and would flee or fold quickly. He was probably told that based on our humiliating withdrawal in Afghanistan, that, that the Western allies, including President Biden, would not rise to the occasion as they have. He was likely told uh, that this would be a mop-up operation. He even used the word operation in his speech last night that would be over in, in a couple of days and that most likely he would have uh, installed a puppet regime. But he didn't factor in uh, the response of President Biden and leading our allies, including new allies such as Chancellor Schultz. Uh, and also the, the, the real wild card here has been the courage of uh, President Zelensky, everyone got him wrong, including right. us. We offered him a plane ticket out, and he said, I want I want ammunition, not a ride. Uh, he's really kind of been the wild card here in a beautiful and courageous way. And his, his courage, his heroism has inspired the world, not just the Ukrainian people. I think that caught Shirley Putin and his leadership by surprise. One other thing about uh, that, that I think... President Putin miscalculated is he he controls the information space in Russia, but he didn't he doesn't have control of the information space in the Ukraine, let alone Europe and the rest of the world. So the, this, in a way, is a huge uh, strategic intelligence failure uh, for uh, Putin and his leadership. What about Putin the man? Putin, Putin, Putin. Uh, everyone by now knows his story of his hard scrabble upbringing and then Leningrad in the af aftermath, the tragic aftermath of, of World War II, uh, raised by a, a hardworking mom with a third grade education and a disabled uh, special forces veteran father who was very courageous and wounded in a special operation during World War II. They're, they're, they barely survived the siege of, of Leningrad, the 900 day siege. His mother almost starved to death. She lost a child during the war. And, and so Putin basically grew up as an only child in a hardscrabble te tenement. In Russia, they called him Komunalki. And the, he, 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 he was a, a street fighter, a street kid who was bullied. And there, like many people who do that, he took up martial arts, judo, which gave him a sense of order and discipline. 
And he also, as a young, as a young student, began his study of the German language. And, and he evolved over time. He became, his dream was to be a KGB officer. He did. And then after the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, he shifted to politics and has become a highly successful politician uh, and I would say diplomat. And, and of course, people have spoken about his, his mastery of judo and his tactical skills, but I think he's also very strategic. Unfortunately, there's one other label that may get added to those labels, and, and it's very tragic uh, for, for Russia, um, even for Putin and for the world. And that label may be war criminal with the indiscriminate bombing of civilian centers in the Ukraine. Would you, would you call him pragmatic? Yes. And do you think that's, that's certainly a label that I would have put on him, you know, 10 years ago? Would you still put that label on him today? Yes, I would. I think he's a rational actor. I think he's pragmatic. I think he, he again, uh, I think it's a false assumption to think that he's somehow more erratic or that he's lost his mental faculties because an operation has gone wrong. If, if any of those intelligence variables that I mentioned a few minutes ago had changed, if Zelensky had fled I think Putin would would be rejoicing in victory right now as we speak. Uh, so the, the, those were the wild cards that uh, that even even many people couldn't predict. So I think he's he's pragmatic. He's ruthless. He has ambition. He has a goal to resurrect the former Soviet Union, the the sphere of influence, uh, and he wants to disrupt and rewrite uh, the the post nineteen ninety one. Uh, Cold War order. He's also incredibly, incredibly ruthless. But we've seen that ruthlessness before right. in the bombing of Grozny in uh, Georgia in 2008, in the takeover of uh, Crimea and the Donbas since 2014, in Syria in 2015 and 2016. His his ordering uh, or sanctioning at a minimum the murders of Litvinenko in London in 2006 with polonium 210 the attempted uh, uh, assassination of former GRU officer in Salisbury, England, uh, Sergei Skripal, with the Novichok, a banned chemical weapon, his attempted assassination of, of Navalny, uh, his uh, other murders, Boris Nemtsov comes to mind. The, his ruthlessness is not new. I'm, I'm sorry to say that. So, Ken, um, given how ruthless he is, how dangerous can he be here in terms of uh, the types of tactics he might use in Ukraine, the types of weapons he might use in Ukraine, even even chemical weapons and perhaps a tactical nuclear weapon, how do you think about that? I think I think he's very dangerous, and and what, because he's a bit unexpectedly cornered, that makes him more dangerous. This is this is a mixture of a war and a hostage negotiation. Uh, where where he's basically, because he has nuclear weapons, he's in a sense holding Ukraine and the West uh, hostage. So it's very dangerous and it's very delicate. Uh, so I, I I share the concerns of many of your listeners in this regard. I think the the attack uh, on the reactor, if not accidental, uh, there are certainly arguments that could be made that it was deliberate. Uh, to show 
the ruthlessness and brutality that he's capable of, because if that reactor core had melted down, all of southern Ukraine would become un- uninhabitable. Uh, so I think he he seeks in that sense to destroy the idea of, of Ukraine as a country, and he's written and spoken about that for decades. This is not new. In 2007, he told, or 2008, he told then-President Bush, Ukraine is not a real country. And he, in his, in his inner circle, his increasingly isolated inner circle, um, um, National Security Council Chair Patrushov, FSB Director Bortnikov, uh, SVR Director Sergei Narishkin, um, Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu, are, are in alignment with that kind of thinking. So that that's a very dangerous situation. The other thing I would add, Michael, is uh, I think it's important to realize that giving finding diplomatic solutions, even while the fighting is going on and the sanctions are being strengthened and we're giving weapons to the Ukraine, is very important. And I think the key to this, when it when it ends, I fear it will get worse before it gets better, as Mike Vickers said. But when it when it ends, I think. Putin needs uh, an off-ramp or a face-saving way where he can, quote, declare victory, unquote, and and retreat back to, to his lair. Uh, sometimes it's better to let the, the bear run out of the cage back into the forest. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back with more of a discussion with Dr. Ken DeClava. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ken, I want to ask you maybe two more questions about the current situation we face between Russia and Ukraine. Do you think that Putin sees a face-saving way out of this? I'm not sure. That's a that's an excellent question. I think part of the job of our expert uh, diplomats, and we're very lucky to have uh, expert diplomats and in intelligence uh, officials at the most senior level, and I especially want to highlight the role of uh, CIA director Bill Burns, who served as a former ambassador uh, to Russia, is if he doesn't see it to to offer different solutions that he can that he can grasp and make him think that that they were his own. This is what hostage negotiators trained in the FBI, such as Gary Nesner, Christopher Voss, and and others, such as Germany's Matthias Schraner called tactical empathy. Empathy is a loaded word here because people are saying, how can you empathize with someone who does horrible, evil things? How can you empathize with someone who may be a war criminal? But you have to, empathy doesn't mean sympathy or assent. It means you have to try to understand what he wants and what his ambition is and give him some kind of a tactical face-saving way where he can, where he can delicately retreat uh, without feeling humiliated. A humiliated Putin is a dangerous Putin. Uh, and, and part of his mindset, you may remember, Michael, after the horrific 2004 
uh, terrorist attacks in Beslan, a school in southern Russia where several hundred children were killed, Putin was very emotional on TV, on national TV. And he said, we were beaten because we were weak. So Putin abhors weakness. So I think we don't want to put him in a position of feeling weakened or beaten or humiliated because that that can lead to further uh, problems down the road. And then, and then, Ken, just just one more question. You mentioned um, the strength of President Zelensky of Ukraine and how he surprised he surprised all of us. Why did he surprise us? Why did we miss understanding who this person really was? I don't know, but I suspect it's because he he was he he's he's not a natural politician, although now he's shown that he is. But he was he was a famous actor, and he was on TV programs and in a movie, and he was thought to be weak and and functioning in a government that has struggled with corruption for many many years, and I think it's probably easy to say that many people, including including the Russians, thought that he was a lightweight, but he found a degree of courage that is just remarkable, and I would encourage your your listeners to uh, watch his beautiful, moving eight-minute speech to the Russian people, where he he talked about the ties that bind the Ukraine and Russia, the humanity of Russians. He speaks, he grew up speaking Russian. He's a Russian, ethnically Russian uh, Jew. He, he talked about his best friends live in the Donbass, how they would go drinking and watch soccer matches together and you know, the, he talked about the ties that bind, not the ties that divide. I think he's also uh, a heroic figure of our time, almost Churchillian, because after this horrid pandemic of the last two years, there's really, and many people would argue that there's a lack of real leadership in many parts of the world, including sadly in the West. And Zelensky uh, has taught us that leadership is real and that leadership matters. Yeah, you know, when I was when I was managing and leading people at the agency, I, I often thought that you don't really you don't really understand who they are until they're put under um, significant stress, and 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 maybe that's a little of what happened here, right? This was the first time where he was put under a tremendous amount of stress, and you know, a man of character um, appeared before us. Yes, and I live in Texas. In Texas, they would say he's been river baptized. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Ken, what I'd love to do now, if it's okay, is I'd love to switch to other important world leaders. And what I'd love to do is throw out a name and give you a couple of minutes um, to, to to talk about what, what makes that person tick, um, how you think about them. And I'd love to start with uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping is a fascinating leader, and I think one of the most formidable leaders in the world today. He, unlike Putin, uh, he's not a disruptor. I think he wants to work within the existing world order, but wants to shape it to one that is more China-centric or friendly to the national interests of China and the Communist Party of China. He's a fascinating character in the sense that 
he grew up as a he's he's in his late sixties. He grew up as a child of privilege. Uh, his father was one of the founders of the modern People's Republic of China and was, was one of the group of eight on the long march with Mao Zedong and was one of the youngest vice ministers during uh, Xi Jinping's childhood. But then when she was uh, a teenager, uh, his father was purged. And then she himself was arrested by the Red Guards at the height of the Cultural Revolution and threatened with execution. And he was 14 at the time. They held a gun to his head and said, we can kill you a hundred times. He said, I don't see the difference between a hundred and one, so please proceed. And then they let him go and sent him away to a, a, to a rural, a remote rural area where he performed hard manual labor away from family, friends, for the next eight or nine years. And he gave a fascinating interview in 2000, which was very little known at the time. Uh, to to a, a journalist where he talked about the lessons that he learned from that. And he, he uses a language of resilience. Of He says a knife is sharpened on a stone. He says, whenever I have challenging situations in my current life, I always draw back to those years to find my strength. So I think he, he certainly has, is formidable and remarkable in his tale of, of resilience. And his ability during the especially during his first term, to, to marry that personal narrative uh, of resilience with his larger narrative of the, the great uh, dream of China's rejuvenation has been uh, very successful. How do you think he perceives us and how we fit into his worldview? I, I think he mistakenly perceives us, and this, this, um, the head of one of the Chinese uh, think tanks, uh, Wan Peng, uh, wrote uh, last year, he's the head of the CICR, which is sort of their think tank of the Ministry of State Security. This, this gave a, a speech, and it was an essay, where they basically say the East is rising and the West is, is foundering, or we're, we're weak. And he sees our society as weak. He sees our leaders as weak, as Putin does. I mean, with all due respect to President Biden, the week before the Ukraine invasion, his popularity ratings were 39% across multiple polls. The, both the Russians, the Chinese, and our other adversaries, such as the North Koreans, Iranians, and others, uh, are very well informed and read this stuff. But they make a mistake, I think, because she, like Putin, and perhaps like Chairman Kim, um, underestimate what America is. They underestimate American exceptionalism. They they underestimate our history, our ability to rise from the doldrums and to bounce back. Uh, the the classic example of this is is President Reagan's term. So I think they have to be careful in that regard. Uh, they they tend to they run a very real risk of under of underestimating. American leadership, American resilience, and American history. We're going to take another quick break. We'll be right back with more Intelligence Matters. Stay with us. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. 
Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So Ken, next on my list here is North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un is a fascinating leader also, and and one that has been easily misunderstood uh, and, and a very difficult target until... 2018, he had not met with a a foreign leader. Uh, And he took power in December of 2011, when his father died of a massive uh, uh, cardiac arrest. So there was very little information about him. But I think we know more based on the speeches that we've seen since since his uh, ascent to power and information that comes out of official North Korean channels, information from South Korean intelligence, and our own information from President Trump's uh, meetings with uh, Chairman Kim during 2018 at the Singapore summit, uh, Hanoi in 2019, and at the DMZ later in 2019. My sense of Kim is that, uh, again, he I don't think he'll give up his nuclear weapons. I think he's a very ruthless leader. But I think he's also an aspirational leader. He's a millennial, if you will. And I think he's sent certain messages over the last, if you will, implicit and explicit messages that he's he's here for the long run and that he's going to figure out a way to try and resolve the conundrum of, of North Korea's economy and, and make it, as he put in a speech about eight years ago, that people can loosen their belts, if you will. I think we see this in his in in how he's recently taken care of his health over the last year. He's lost a significant amount of weight, likely due to bariatric surgery. He has multiple cardiac and stroke risk factors. He's a chain smoker. He was probably morbidly obese. He he may have hypertension and diabetes, but he's lost about 40 or 50 pounds. He looks a lot fitter than he did several years ago when there were descriptions that he was even huffing and puffing while walking during negotiations uh, with South Koreans and with President Trump in 2018. Uh, There was a video on North Korean state television that showed him digging uh, digging a large hole to plant a tree. Uh, He looked pretty energetic there. So I think he's going to be somebody that we have to contend with for quite some time. But I see him as an aspirational person in the long run for North Korea. And it was it that aspirational aspect of his personality, his 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 mindset that led him into that special relationship with President Trump? Yes, and I would put not only with President Trump but with President Moon. They met four times and with President Xi. They've had they've I think they had three meetings in 2018 and they've had uh, uh two in 2019. You you remember that in September of 2018, where President Moon and President um, and Chairman Kim and their wives 
uh, climbed to the summit of uh, Mount Peik Tu, which is a very sacred holy mountain in, yes. in Korean and North Korean uh, mythology and lore. And I think there was a sense of, of triumphalism that he had come out on the world stage and held his own. And the former Russian ambassador, uh, I think Glev Ivashensev, to South Korea said in 2019, Kim's remarkable. He he went during 2019, he emerged from his isolation to meet with the most powerful leaders in the world, President Trump, um, President Putin, President Xi, and other leaders such as President Moon, the prime ministers of Vietnam and Singapore, and held his own as a statesman. So I think that's an important part of, of who he is. And if he did it once, he can do it again. Ken, um, the supreme leader in Iran. I've, I've not formally studied the supreme leader, but what we know about him is, is he's in his 80s and he has health issues. Uh, there, there are numerous reports that he's had prostate cancer for several years um, treated. And, and being, a, being a clinician, I can tell your listeners that I treat many cancer patients. And, and now with modern treatments available, patients that would have died in a year or two when I was a medical student or resident can now live for five or 10 years. I've had patients who outlive their oncologists. So with late stage cancers, including late stage prostate cancer. So I think the supreme leader is, is taking a hard line. I think the the JCPOA talks, which President Biden is trying to revive, I think the Iranians have taken very, very tough, strong negotiating positions, and they're not likely to budge. And that raises the issue of sanctions. Iran, of course, has been under crippling sanctions yeah. for a very long time. But I one of the frustration of, of leaders in the West, including President Biden and others who plan sanctions regimes against these adversarial leaders such as Putin, Xi, Kim, uh, the Supreme Leader of Iran, is that uh, these le- the adversarial leaders can adapt to sanctions over time to where they, they figure out workarounds. And these are also... Uh, countries that also have a civil civilizational aspect to them in their own proud history. And they have the capability, if you will, of digging in their heels. Yeah. So I'm wondering, um, given his, given his age, given his health, given the fact that he made a deal once with the United States and had the rug pulled out from underneath him, if it's going to be, you know, pretty tough for him to agree to, to another deal at this point, I I think so, Michael, and and I think he he probably was a reluctant person to go along with that deal. But the new president Raisi, who was likely to become the supreme leader uh, when the current supreme leader dies, when uh, Supreme Leader Khamenei dies, is is as much of a hardliner as uh, the current supreme leader. So I don't expect. I don't expect a change. And I think in in the sense of broken deals like that, if you will, um, our adversaries never forget and they never forgive. Yeah. Ken, it's been great to have you. I just want to ask you one more question. Um, and I know you haven't formally studied him, but any thoughts about President Biden and his his leadership styles, his 
how a person who does what you do, maybe in another country, is looking at President Biden? Two two points, Michael. One is I I because of the nature of of my work and and because I w- am a former senior diplomat, I don't profile American politicians. But what I will say is that there are people who do what I and others in the intelligence community do uh, in China, in Iran, in Russia, in other countries in the West, in Israel, and they will be studying. Uh, President Biden's negotiating strategies, um, his biography, his his psychology, if you will, his health, in the same way that we study those of our adversaries. Yeah, I'd love to get a look at those. Me too. <laughs> um, Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been a fascinating discussion, and uh, we'll have to get you back someday. Thank you for having me, Michael. That was Michael's March 2022 conversation with psychiatrist Kenneth DeClava. Please join us next week for a new episode of Intelligence Matters. Intelligence Matters is sponsored by Palantir Technologies, foundational software of tomorrow, delivered today. The show is produced by Olivia Gassis, Jamie Benson, Paulina Smolinski, and Reggie Bazile. For more from this week's show, visit cbsnews.com. Intelligence Matters is a production of CBS News. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.